unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. And we welcome you to another episode. And coming up this time around, we bring you from the Black and Gold Banneret and the public address voice of UCF Sports, Jeff Sharon. He is standing by in the virtual green room and will join us in just a few moments. Boy, last night's college basketball felt like March Madness already. You had the big, uh, uh, in Indianapolis, the big uh, doubleheader, Kentucky-Michigan State, which went to overtime, and Duke-Kansas. And, man, that uh, that was some great stuff there to, as uh, college basketball is underway. We're in that uh, interesting time in the month of November. We have hockey. We have college basketball. We have college and pro football. Yeah, pro basketball too. So yeah, there's all sorts of great things going on in the sports world. And uh, yeah, I like this like this time of the year as uh, all this stuff kind of overlaps and makes it quite a bit of fun. And how about Jeff Saturday? So what a lightning rod hire by the Indianapolis Colts as uh, <laughs> Frank Reich is fired. They decide to go with a consultant and television analyst in Jeff Saturday, the former Colts uh, great center. And, you know, it's very interesting in this aspect because at first thought you're thinking, all right, Jim Irsay is hiring somebody with no experience to run his team. And he got lit up for that. Bill Cowher, most notably on the NFL today, went hard at him on on that situation. But as I think about it more, and I think about guys like Bill Cowher and other coaches who are steamed that they don't get the opportunity, is, you know, here comes a guy from the outside with no professional football coaching experience, and he wins his first game. (laughs) How much does that say about Josh McDaniels at uh, Vegas? I don't know, but think about this. You know, the NFL coaching profession, they retread coaches over and over again. You know, you get the uh, uh, the, the hot young guys every now and again, like uh, Sean McVay and whatnot. But then, you know, you know, Lovey Smith's coaching again. You know, and they, you know, how many times did John Fox get a job? And, you know, the NFL just kind of retreads guys over and over again. And it's kind of refreshing. And, you know, and, and the other thing is the, <laughs> the coaches are thinking, crap, they can bring somebody in off the street to do my job. <laughs> I think that's what they're most afraid of. <laughs> if you get right down to it. All right. It is my pleasure to welcome back to the podcast from the black and gold banneret. Also the public address announcer, for UCF Sports, it is great to have Jeff Sharon back on the program. Jeff, thanks for being here. Hey, Jeff, what's up? Good to be back with you, man. It's been uh, it's been a minute, but you know we're back here together and at a good time of year too. We're in the fall sports equinox, and stuff's as busy as ever. Yeah, that's for sure. So uh, let's start off with uh, UCF football. You know they've had a great run the last few weeks. And they are now number 20 in the college football playoff poll, which has, uh, you know, caused a little bit of uh, consternation amongst some of the fan base. Uh, 
But uh, again, you know, it's uh, it's good to be in the conversation once again as a potential New Year's Six. Uh, so give me your take on how things are going right now. You know, I, I I get the consternation and we're kind of in a in a moment in in UCF history where, you know, the the scars of 2017 and 2018 are still they, they start to they start to itch and hurt a little <laughs> bit when you're eight and two and the conference championship is kind of in your, you know, it's all you got to do is beat two sub 500 teams and you get there. Um, I I think that I was a little surprised that we were only one spot ahead of Tulane. Um, I think that's kind of, if, if I, you know, when I looked at the rankings, that's the part that I was like, that's weird. Like what? And then Cincinnati jumped into the top 25 by virtue of something I don't know. Um, it, it, it is clear right now that UCF is in the driver's seat for for the American. And I, I try to remind myself as a fan that that's the most important thing. Like where we are in the rankings, it, it doesn't matter at this point. Um, yeah, I know Cincinnati last year, they made the playoff, but like it's – yeah, and 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 we've made obviously made that point that that a team from not from one of the power conferences can indeed make it. Like you know, Cincinnati doesn't get there unless UCF wins twenty five in a row. And I think everyone knows that. But um, you know, we we have two losses on our overall record, including one at home um, against the. It's but and actually, don't look me up, but Louisville is actually pretty good right now. But um, the. The, the thing that I keep coming back to is the qualifications for the New Year's, New Year's Six Bowl for the for a group of five team is you have to be the highest ranked conference champion. Doesn't say where you have to be ranked. It just says you have to be the highest ranked. Mm-hmm. So all we got to do is just hold serve. Yeah. You know, take care of business. Beat the teams we're supposed to beat. You know, we're favored against Navy. We're going to be favored against South Florida. And then get to the conference championship game against whoever that is. Most likely going to be a team that we've already played, being Cincinnati or Tulane. Mm-hmm. So handle what we got to do. Get get to that point. Hopefully win these last two games, we're hosting. Right? So, because uh, we, would, we would be there by virtue of the tiebreaker. Uh, and then, like, the table is set. You play one game at home, win that home game, and you're going to most likely the Cotton Bowl. I think is what I've seen. Um, you know, if if UCF holds off, hold holds on here for to win the AAC championship. Yeah, so it would be interesting. Yes, to you know have another rematch in the conference championship, but you also don't want to fall for the banana in the tailpipe on the way there uh, because yeah. your know, Navy's not going to be a pushover. I no. think we we've we've known that from last year. Uh, and and they give teams fits with uh, with a triple option. Yeah, and, and, you know, I was talking with Andrew Glukov, who writes for us, um, and we were talking about how you know why the triple O teams like you know Navy and Army have struggled of late, and and actually the the reason why is because it comes back to a rule change that was instituted just recently about blocking below the waist, and um, I forget the exact tech, text of it, but it they have had. The, that has become an issue for them, but, you know, I was just looking at the numbers, you know, Navy is still 10th and FBS and rushing 
and number one in rush defense in in the American, sixth in the country. They are vulnerable uh, through the air. Uh, or they're 116th in the country, ninth in the American in pass defense. So, you know, this is one of those situations. Now, b- now, believe it or not, like I said, second in the American in rushing, who's number one? UCF. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so when was the last time we outrushed Navy in a, in a, in a season? But, um, you know, this is where I, th- I think, you know, for this particular game in this matchup, uh, this may come down to seeing what John Rice Plumley can do through the air. Um, you know, if they are that vulnerable, and I think this could be a real confidence builder. I, you know, everyone complains about JRP's uh, passing ability. Um, I, for one, think that he's, you know, he's he has really improved as the season has gone by, particularly with passing. The reason why we did he didn't throw the ball that much against Tulane was because there was a 20-mile-an-hour wind and Tulane is actually one of the better pass defense teams in the country. That's kind of their their defensive bread and butter. So in that respect, you know, I want the quarterback in there who's going to be the better threat running the ball. And lo and behold, he broke the school record for rushing yards by a quarterback within the first 10 minutes of the game. So, you know, I, that's what I'd want to see. And if, and if we're going to see, you know, if we're going to see a situation where we can, where we can get JRP to, to build even more confidence with his arm, you know, why not against a team that's a hundred and something in the country in past defense. So, you know, I think we'll see a little bit more through the air this week. I wouldn't be yeah. surprised about that at all. Yeah, it is interesting. Of course, you know, we, we think of Keen as the throwing quarterback and JRP is the running quarterback. I mean, too bad we can't meld them together. And that would be a, a fantastic, <laughs> uh, fantastic quarterback. But, uh, you know, you got to give all the credit in the world to Mikey Keen for what he has done uh, filling in for JRP. I mean, you know, this is a guy who's got his head screwed on right yeah because it could have you know he could have gone to the transfer portal he could have just packed it in but he was ready when his number was called as clutch as six quarters of football from a backup quarterback as i think i've ever seen to be honest with you um you know to come in against cincinnati i think you know as a fan you know even i was like oh man this is gonna be this is this is a tough tough ask for him. But Mikey Keene is nothing if not a team player. Always has been. And let's not forget, you know, yeah, JRP came in, but Mikey Keene competed for that job right up until I think it was the the week before the opener when they announced JRP would be the would be the starter and then they actually had the game plan and prepare for the opener. So, you know, it, it, it's not like, you know, I think that he would have given up right away. Because that's not that's not how he is. But, you know, he's handled this situation. Well, it's easy for us to forget, you know, Mikey was not a Gus recruit and Gus is very specific about the kind of quarterback he wants. Right. Um, And and there were some limitations. I mean, there were clear limitations in Mikey's game that that last year, you know, UCF had to and Gus had to coach around. Right. You know, JRP opens up a lot more of the playbook, but one thing that I was really impressed with was, you know, we saw on full display how accurate Mikey is with the ball. He doesn't have the strongest arm in the world, 
but he's really accurate and he's really good at putting at at making sure that his skill players get the ball in positions to succeed. And I think that's the, uh, I, I forget who's the person I wish I could give them credit who, who made this point on Twitter. You know, they said uh, it was the perfect analogy. They said, you know, JRP is a playmaker and he is. Mikey Keene knows how to get the ball to the playmakers. And that's mm-hmm. exactly what, it, and that's not saying that JRP doesn't know how to get the ball, but like that, that's, that's really what they are. Yeah. You know, they're top so, straights. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and, and you never know, like it, it's, you know, it, like I said, it is a team game. We might see, you know, there might be another injury who knows how effective JRP is going to be. If he runs into a buzzsaw at some point, um, if you're Mikey Keene, you got to be ready, you know? And I think the fact that, that he was prepared to come in against a tough opponent in Cincinnati is Luke Fickle's defense and led the team to two big late scoring drives. And it should have been four because we turned the ball over deep in Cincinnati territory twice prior to the two touchdowns. Um, I mean, that was a, that should have been a 28 point half that we put up on, on Cincinnati in that game. And, and, uh, and, uh, and the, the, or, or, uh, or was it Cincinnati? I forget who it was, but um, yeah, yeah. yeah, but that was, that was a clutch performance. And then, and then to do what he, he did against Memphis too, um, you know, getting UCF's first big, you know, road win outside the state of Florida on the year. I think that was, you know, that, that, that speaks a lot about Mikey Keene's character. Yeah. And, uh, and that was, that was fun to see. And like I said, the season is not over. There's still at least two, at least three, really, because UACF is bowl eligible. Maybe as many as four games left to play. Yeah. You never know. Yeah, we're hoping to see four. That's for sure. Uh, so what is the most interesting thing you think you've seen from the Knights on the gridiron this season, if you had to? I think that the way Gus has coached this team, uh, he's allowed – the players that he has, and we were worried coming into this year with all the new faces, right? Like all these, how would they all, how would they all fit in? He's allowed his new players to grow into their roles as the season has gone by. We didn't see a lot of RJ Harvey at the start of the year. We're seeing a lot more of him now. Um, you know, uh, 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 Isaiah Bowser is kind of the do everything back, but he's not really a do everything back. He's a power guy. And we saw in the game at Tulane how he didn't have a lot of opportunities, but in that on that last offensive drive, when UCF needed to, you know, wanted to try and put Tulane away, you know, I'm sure the conversation was, okay, Isaiah, this is your time. All right. Lead us home. And like you looked at that 13, was a 13 play drive. Um, it was just, you know, I think, I think Bowser got the ball 11 times. Yeah. That was a man's drive. <laughs> yeah. It was, that was a championship drive. We are going to, we're, you know, shove the ball down the defense's throat, burn some clock, put seven on the board and put this thing away. And, uh, and that's exactly what happened. Um, you know, the, the receivers, uh, you know, J- Javon Baker and Kobe Hudson. I really love what Kobe Hudson's done. I, I, you know, it's a, it, it was, it, it, it wasn't looking good there in the start of the year, but he's become the sort of Mr. Reliable on the other side. And, and, and the other thing is like, 
you know, with Baker, he had so many, he had some big games in the start of the year, but then the defense has picked up on that, right? Oh, if we take away Javon, that'll that'll take away JRP's number one target. Well, then what happened? We we see more Kobe Hudson. Uh, we've seen Ryan O'Keefe, you know, do Ryan O'Keefe things, you know. Um, and it's and it's almost like, you know, watching how this offense has played out, it's like every time you think that they it's it's like Gus is playing cards, right? And every time you think that you got his hand figures out, he whips out another card and throws it on the table. And he's like, what are you going to do now? You know, which is which is what I like to see, you know, because, you know, you don't want to keep teams. You, you don't want teams to guess your tendencies all the time. So I, I think it's been it's been fun seeing all these guys, you know, build up through the year. And and the other thing I think on defense in particular you know, Travis Williams has coached that defense so well, and we've seen so many guys really step up, particularly on the front seven. Those guys do not get enough credit. They've done such a magnificent job um, pressuring opposing quarterbacks and stuffing a run as well. Um, it's been uh, – I was looking at the numbers today, actually. UCF right now, you know, second in the country in red zone defense. Uh, defensively uh, against the run – 31st in the country um you know that's it, it it all starts up front and you know we've seen the offensive line grow and we've seen the defensive line really i think carry this team um you know when they needed it yeah it never really you know benefits the the dvs too because mm-hmm. you know that that was kind of an area of concern coming into this season yeah. big um, concern last week with guys out yeah. right like you know, quadric board was out uh, I think Newt Wilson was out, and when I saw, when I heard that at game time, I was like, "Oh my gosh! Like this this could be a problem because Michael Pratt can play," and um, and it ended up, you know, that the guys who were there, Devonte Brown, who's one of my favorite players on this team, you know, for what he's what he's blossomed into has really been fun to watch. Good stuff there. Well, you know, basketball season has gotten underway, and uh, you know, UCF, uh, you know, it's almost like you know, like you know, guys are being introduced to each other. Now they've been practicing together for a while, but this is like a whole new team compared to what we had last year and off to a two and one start. Uh, and I know this before we went on the air, you used the words cautiously, cautiously optimistic, which I think is a great term for that <laughs> because you look at, you look at the talent that's out, that's out there and available for Johnny Dawkins. Uh, it's, you know, skies, sky could be the limit. But, you know, it's a it's a long season. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a long season. And also, you, you know, the schedule is worked out in a way where, you know, yeah, you. OK, so they beat Florida State, which was which was an amazing win by 14 points. Florida State's really struggling, too. Um, you know, we saw the double OT loss on opening night to UNC Asheville. And then they come back and really hand it to Western Illinois, which they should have done. Um, I think everyone agreed to. We're going to see some some interesting things this weekend as they head out to the Bahamas. They're playing Oklahoma State and then either DePaul or Santa Clara. That's going to be two good tests. And then another and then some more tests, you know, home from Miami um, on Sunday, the 27th. I think that's right after Thanksgiving Day and an Adel Miss in December, Mizzou in December down in Sunrise. So, um you know, there, there's kind of a mix of like games that, you know, where we can figure things out. And I think Western Illinois was a good example of that the other night, you know, where Johnny was trying out some, some units, seeing how they all mesh together. 
But then we also saw what what you know these guys can do when you kind of, when when Johnny kind of takes the leash off of them a little bit, which we did against Florida State. I was so encouraged by the fact that this team is rebounding the the hell out of the basketball. Um, they are killing teams on the glass. They have a plus ten rebound per game margin, and. To me, rebounding is the equivalent of your upfront play in football, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if you get if you get beat in the trenches in in football, chances are you're not going to win the game. If you get beat on rebounding, chances are you're not going to win the game in basketball. And uh, and that's been that's been fun to watch. Like the upfront guy, and this is by the way, you know. CJ Walker has not played very much because he's still nursing an injury. And when he has played, he hasn't, um, I'm like actually looking at the numbers right now. He's only got, he's only averaging three rebounds a game, but they have UCF has four guys averaging five rebounds a game or more. And one guy averaging 4.7 uh, in these first three games. And I, and I think that's, that's just been the key, you know, uh, Michael Durr has been a good presence underneath. I love the hustle that we've seen from Brandon Suggs. You know, he hasn't, he's, he's actually been shooting um, pretty well in terms of getting the ball to the hoop, but, and then you combine, you know, what, you know, sort of like these nice little pieces between, you know, Ithiel Horton, Jalen Young has been great running the show, but, you know, I think Taylor Hendricks, um, the young freshman, highly touted, highest ranked recruit that UCF's ever pulled in. Man, that guy is as advertised. He is a serious, he's going to be a serious problem for opposing defenses and offenses because he's so long and on defense, he is impossibly quick. And on offense, there's no shot he can't make. Yeah. You know, I, and that's the thing that I, I was most impressed with. You know, the, he, he doesn't seem to have an offensive weakness. He has good post footwork, especially for someone that young. You know, footwork takes time to develop, and he's developed it. Um, you know, he, he, he is extremely aggressive on the boards, which I love to see. Uh, and, and he has range. So, you know, when you can combine that, you know, that, that range out there that he has with that quick first step, I mean, this is this is a guy who's super talented, and I I can't wait to see what we get to see from him. And they and they've done all this with time Freeman still nursing an injury, CJ Walker still hurt. He is not a hundred percent. I think you know he would tell us that too. And we still haven't seen Darius Johnson out there yet because yeah. he's hurt. <laughs> so um, you know, I, I we're we're seeing this chemistry develop on the floor in real time. And uh, and that's the part that I that I that I've really enjoyed watching from this team these first three games, even in the loss against Asheville. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it it took them. I think the reason why they lost the game was they were still trying to figure out how to play together against an irregular opponent. Yeah, and it's no shame yeah. losing to Asheville either. I mean, they, they they've been uh, a pretty good team over the years. Yeah, and, and they're actually one of the one of the favorites in their in their conference too um, to to possibly go to to you know go to the dance in March. So you know, I don't think there's any any shame in that at all. I mean, yes, you should still win that game on your home floor. Yeah, but I think like you know, in in April when we look back at the season and kind of take stock of it, we we might look at it and be like, ah, you know what, they they. They're a good team, and they got us that night. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned Hendricks, too. And I think – and this may sound contradictory, but, you know, for a guy that's as aggressive on the boards, he, is, he looks amazingly fluid and calm 
in his game. Yeah. You know, that's and you don't see that at a freshman very often. Completely unfazed, completely unfazed by the stage. And I think that's that's the other thing. I, I, I you know, he's ready for this moment. Um, you know, we see a lot of freshmen out there, you know, they, you know, and, and some of the guys who are out there, I think in that, in the first half of that Asheville game, were like, oh my gosh, like this, this, you know, this is real now. Um, but Taylor kind of like, even though he was a little slow to start in that game, he found his flow in the second half and it's, and you can, you could see him, you know, kind of lock in and go into cruise control. Like, oh, Okay. I, I know how to do this. I've been here before. It's like the it's like the adrenaline kind of wears off a little bit of your first college game, and then he was off and running. And uh, and I forget what he had in that in that in that particular game, but um, but that was that was that, that was that was fun to see. That was really fun to see in that game. And um, I mean, the future's bright. I know. I know. I said people are going to be like, "Oh, you're such a shill." Well, yeah, I am. <laughs> but uh, duh. Um, but, but it's, it's good. It's, it's fun to see that. It's like, it's like the anticipation of like a Christmas presents. Like we got some talent on this team. We're going to see some cool stuff here. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. And, and, you know, in, like you said, Florida state's down, you know, they're ravaged with injuries right now, but yeah, the most amazing number in that game was they almost had as many rebounds as FSU had points. Yeah. <laughs> 52 to 54. You don't see that. No, and you really don't see that from a team like Florida State, you know, coached by Leonard Hamilton, um, you know, and, and and it was a really emotional night, too, because, you know, Darren Green Jr. came back, made his return. Actually, he led Florida State in scoring that night. He had 17 on 7 of 14 um, in 34 minutes. But I, you know, sit, sitting where I sat, I thought Darren had a bad night. He yeah. missed some shots pretty badly. And one of the things that encouraged me about UCF was, you know, and, and due respect to Darren, you know, he's he did a lot of great things for UCF. And, and I think that and, and that should not be discounted. But I think that but you know, if you were a former teammate of his, right, you know, I mean, you know how the competitive juices start flowing, you know, when you say, oh, OK, you're over there now. All right. Well, we're going to show you what you gave up on. Mm-hmm. And. What I thought was encouraging was that some of the guys who are on the, are on UCF now who weren't teammates of Darren Green's last year, you know, Hendricks, Michael Durr, some of those guys, when they were defending him or as they as he or as Darren was driving to the basket, they went at him aggressively. And and really rattled him, I thought, on a couple of times. So I, th- I think Durr had a good block on him. And um and that to me shows you know, above all, a team that is that is united, you know, it's in terms of like, you know, hey, we're here together now. Like, you know, this guy, this guy left us on the side. You know what? Fine. You know, you yeah. want to go over there? We're going to make we're going to show you what you missed out on. And I, yeah. that's the part that I that that I that I really like that, that that, you know, seeing how we defended against Darren Green Jr. in that in that Florida State game tells me. Okay, yeah. this team is I don't I don't know how good we're going to be, but at the very least we're, that te- this team is going to play together. Yeah. Yeah, I know when uh, when Green hit that logo 3, I thought, "Uh-oh, he's going to get hot." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the, I I saw that too. He hit that one right in front of me, man, and I was like, "Whoa, whoa okay, he, he he was waiting to hit that one." 
Yeah. Yes. That that is his territory. That's for sure. A couple other things in uh, UCF sports. So uh, women's soccer wins first round in the NCAA tournament. Congratulations for that. But yeah, you get UCLA. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's a that's a tall order, uh, but uh, certainly a great accomplishment for this uh, for this women's uh, soccer team this year. Yeah, you know, wouldn't it have been something um, uh, had Amanda Cromwell not taken the Orlando Pride job, which ended up being an ill-fated decision? But had she not taken that job, she would it would be a matchup of the previous two head coaches at UCF women's soccer going back to the nineties in Amanda Cromwell and Tiffany Roberts, the I I have really enjoyed watching um, the women's soccer team uh, this year. And I think that, you know, we are in the midst of watching a, a truly great player in Kristen Scott, um, you know, we did, we looked at the numbers and UCF and since COVID UCF has averaged one goal per game more with Kristen Scott on the field than, than when she's not playing. And what that has done, particularly this year is open up opportunities for other players, uh, as well. Like Kristen got off to a good start and she got hurt and she came back, um, but, you know, we saw Mallory Olsen get a lot of, you know, t- take care of business for UCF. Uh, I think some of the younger players who are coming in are also, you know, they see that example. Um, and, and, but, you know, right. Now, but when you get to the tournament, it's it's up to your senior players to make to make plays. So, you know, this this particular moment against UCLA in Los Angeles, long way going out there. But UCF, you know, did play out west earlier this season. So it's not entirely a foreign uh, you know thing for them you know they played out actually at utah valley earlier this year who was actually a pretty good team uh played him to a scoreless draw um you know this particular game against ucla on friday uh you know they're a number one seed this feels like a, a game that you know, maybe UCF does have, you know, I, I, I still think in, you know, I mean, soccer, every goal is one goal game. Like, you know, they have a very good shot at this one. Um, and, you know, it's up to, it's, it's just up to see, it's up to, you know, what sort of breaks you get and do your senior players come through. And, uh, and, you know, one of the other senior players that we really need to give a shout out to Caroline Delisle, who is just the latest in a long line of great UCF goalkeepers in women's mm-hmm. soccer, you know, going back to, you know, Kim Wyant, uh, Alini Reyes, who played in the World Cup for Brazil. Um, yeah, uh, Jen Manis and everybody like she put the team on her back. And I thought that that was, you know, in the in PKs against um, uh, against North Carolina State in the first round, you know, the first two got past her. She saved the last two. Yeah. Usually it's, you know, it's when you, when you come back from being down a little bit and granted it's PKs, you know, you never know, but that always just shows you, I think a lot of character you know, and, and the kind of player that Caroline Delisle is in goal. And, uh, you know, to get those two saves, to get UCF the goals that they need, because remember we, we missed one early. Um. And it's and hard that, to block two PKs in a row, too. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, it's hard to, especially when you have that pressure on you, knowing that you need to block two, you need to stop two because your team already missed one. So um, that was a that was such a tremendous a, a tremendous moment 
for uh, for Carolina for this team, and I think that how much confidence does that give you going into this game out in Los Angeles? I think that's that's big. Yeah, and then of course we got to give it up for volleyball. Uh, having an incredible oh. season, they've only lost once this year. Back to Houston, who they're just behind in the national rankings. And if things continue to play out, they'll be playing on Black Friday for the conference championship against the Cougars. Uh, that's an amazing stuff. Uh, and and I, I have gotten so hooked on watching them on ESPN Plus. It's 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 amazing. We need more people to come to volleyball because we have yes. two matches left to go in the season. And the, it is entirely and you're right. You know, we have four matches to go at ECU at Temple and then home for Tulane on the day before Thanksgiving and then home for Houston the day after Thanksgiving at five o'clock. And if these two teams went out, which it seems likely that they will, although Houston does have a match with SMU coming up, that's going to be big for them. Uh, it may very well come down to black Friday for the conference championship. And it seems hard to believe that UCF could conceivably go 27 and one and finish second in the conference. But that is possible because that one loss was to Houston and because they play twice, the tiebreaker is the first tiebreaker is the number of sets you played. And then the second tiebreaker is your total point differential mm. across the two matches. So Houston beat UCF by four. So if you see, so UCF could, even if UCF wins by five, Houston would, by virtue of that, win the conference title because UCF would have to, first of all, UCF would have to sweep them. If UCF wins in four, then the tiebreaker goes to the total plus minus of match points or of total points in the two matches. Because remember, there's no conference tournament. Mm-hmm. So this is a very big moment right now for UCF. And and, and I think that um, Houston is really good. I think that, you know, they're, they're going to be uh, – their volleyball program has kind of been up and down over the years, but I think they're on the verge of being a real challenger when they get to the Big 12 along with us. Um, but one thing that UCF has is that senior experience. And, you know, Amber Olson running the show as the setter, um, I think has I think she's right up there with um, Jenny Frank as, as the best setter in UCF history. Um, and... I mean, obviously, but, you know, what more can you say about McKenna Melville that has not been said? Um, You know, she's now within, uh, I think I said it out, I forget how many it was, but she's within, I believe, 60-some kills of 2,500 for her career. And, And that would put her... Yeah, she is. Uh, she's actually 63 kills from 2,500, 44 from top 10 all time in Division One history, which is remarkable on its own. But even more remarkable when you consider that over the years, Jeff, um, college volleyball's rule, scoring rules have changed a couple of times up until 2000. You could only score a point in a match if you won a point on serve. So if you side out, side out, side out, you can mm-hmm. get credit with a bunch of kills, but not a point for your team to win the match. So matches could theoretically, you know, go on forever. But um, the and so 
you know, players who played before that era, such as Renata Menchikova, who whose record McKenna broke, they were so far out beyond the reach of anyone. I think the all-time leader in the NCAA. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, the all-time leader in NCAA Division One history in kills has 3,043. Yeah, and McKenna's coming up on 2,500. So that tells you back in that era, like how many times that, you know, that, that you know, how many opportunities you can get. In, and then when they change the rule to rally scoring, where you get a point regardless of what happens, of who serves, for the first six years, it was to 30 points in a set, not 25 like it is now. So there's few. So McKenna's doing this with fewer opportunities than the players that she had in the past and is in that realm. And for players who played exclusively in the 25-point era, she is third all-time in kills. So in NCAA Division One history. So, you know, she's going to get that record, God willing, you know, unless something terrible happens like an injury. But um, and and it's and, and this team still has a lot, of, you know, they can't rest on their laurels. They have to bring it every night because of that one loss earlier this year yeah. to Houston. Now, they're going to get in the NCAA tournament anyway, but. You know, if they beat Houston, win the conference championship, there's an outside shot that they could host the NCAAs, which we've only done once, uh, and that was uh, three years ago, and um, you know, prior to COVID, and that was and that was a, a match where, um, you know, our our setter at the time, Aaron Olson, Amber's older sister, was hurt; she couldn't play, and that. You know, that really like right before the NCAA tournament happened. Right. So, you know, we ended up losing in the first round to Florida Gulf Coast, who was a really good team in their own right. But like we were shorthanded in that match and lost in five. So, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, having a full complement of players, you know, if they're if UCF is able to pull through, get this conference championship, beat Houston along the way, they could enter the NCAA tournament with one loss, one loss. And then who knows? I mean, like, what are you going to do? Are you really going to send us out somewhere else on the road with one loss? Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, I would hope not. That would, that would be a crime but in, in, in all phases of the world. You know, I, I, you, you look at this, too, and, you, you know, I, I like to say, you know, with volleyball, with, with women's soccer, with softball, track and field, UCS girl power is unrivaled. <laughs> yeah. I, it's really encouraging to see because I, you know, I, you know, we have seen the growth of women's sports in general, especially over the last 10 years. And I think UCF has ridden that wave extre- extraordinarily well. And I think it's great for the program in general, especially as, especially as we head to the Big 12, where, you know, we will find ourselves with other programs who have had established traditions of success in women's sports across the board. Um, and, you know, and, and that shows you, you know, the kind of school that UCF is, you know, it's, it, it's, I've always believed that this is the, this is the athletic program for the 21st century. Hmm. And the pride that UCF takes in the success of its women's sports is, is part and parcel of that. Um, and, it, and I think that it's, it, we see a lot of fans, we've seen great fan support for, you know, some of the more traditional programs like women's soccer, 
We've seen softball just capture everyone's hearts last year. Um, you know, we know how good soccer is and everything. Um, and volleyball, I, I think, is the one that you know still has still has some that the, is is still like a, a secret almost among the fan base. It's like, but like you got to come to these matches because this team is just really good, and I think they're only going to get better as they get to the Big Twelve. I think they will compete. Um, I think there's there's the biggest curve in moving to the Big Twelve is in volleyball, but. Todd Dashney, the head coach, Jenny Maurer, who does who handles the recruiting, they have been out. Um, I think as much, if not more, so than any other program. This is not a knock on any other program at all, but they have been touting that Big Twelve tag. Like, okay, we're going to be playing big time volleyball here. We need some big time talent. They've been going out and getting that talent over the last couple of years. We've seen it filtering through, and. That's where I think we're going to see, you know, it, it, it may take, there may be an adjustment period. We're not going to win the Big 12 right away, but we'll be a competitor, I think, in short order in that we, conference, assuming the recruiting still keeps going the way it's going. Yeah, we could at least go in guns a blazer. <laughs> at yeah. least we, we had that opportunity in front of us as well. And, and of course, you know, you mentioned, uh, uh, you know, they got two, two home matches left. It's Thanksgiving weekend. So hopefully, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, people can get away, you know, like, like, Five o'clock starts will be tough if you work a day job, but you know around Thanksgiving maybe you got that opportunity to go out there. So uh, um, that Black Friday match, five o'clock Friday. Yep. Go do your shopping. Come home, drop it off, take a nap if you had to get up early, <laughs> and get down to the venue. It's really yeah. that simple. Like, yeah. You know you're not going to be there for three hours, but you're going to get some entertainment value out of it, and you know, and chance to celebrate the day before we go down to Tampa. So. And take over their stadium. Yeah, <laughs> like over their stadium. <laughs> so I uh, wanted to ask you, too, uh, about a recent experience you had. Uh, so you had the opportunity to uh, do a public address for the Orlando Magic. Paul Porter yeah. had the night off. Uh, you, and of course, he also does the lightning as well. So, you know, so he's like an Iron Man when it comes to, to this kind of stuff. Uh, so he doesn't take many nights off. No. But you got the opportunity to sit in. Tell me about that experience. Um. Just a, a, a tremendous, tremendous experience. I, I first, and I'll tell you, the truth, it's it really fulfilled a childhood started dream for me because you know I started becoming interested in the idea of public address announcing as a kid watching the NBA, you know, and watching you know like you know the NBA on NBC and you know the starting lineups for the chicago bulls and michael jordan and in old chicago stadium right and ray clay was their public address announcer at the time mm-hmm. and um and i thought man that must be you know i was i always loved watching that right on tv whenever they would televise it because it was so cool you know the, the lights would go down and the and the, the alan parsons music would play and and I was like, man, that must be awesome. I always got excited. I, I felt like I was, I wanted to run out there and play myself, you know, and when you, when you see that. And I was like, wow, what, what, how cool must that be? And then I get to do it for real, you know, obviously at UCF for the number of years I've been doing it, but then, you know, you, you get the call from the Orlando Magic who, you know, who, who reached out and, you know, asked for, my availability for that for that particular game and i was like yeah of course i'm available <laughs> um and uh and and it was a phenomenal experience to be able to do you know to to do that for our hometown team 
you know, um, a team that is young and fun and I think well coached. They're off to a rough start record wise, but I was so encouraged watching, you know, they kind of remind me of UCF men's basketball in a way right now where they have a bunch of really good pieces that are trying to figure out how to play together. And it's worked like Paolo Bancaro. The game I did was the overtime game against the Sacramento Kings that De'Aaron Fox won at the buzzer, which was just incredible <laughs> um, in its own right. But um, Paolo Bancaro that night had a 30 and 15. He was the, he's the only teenager not named LeBron James to put up a 30 and 15 as rookie year mm. in the game. And, 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 he, and he did so like he put up the 30 points in like really quiet fashion. We were all looking around like, He's got 30 points tonight. And they're like, yeah. He's like, wow. <laughs> like we were surprised. Um, yeah. And then you see, you know, like Jalen Suggs, who, you know, from Gonzaga, who I, I think is kind of settling in as sort of like a 1.5, like half point guard, half two guard. Bull Bull had a great night. I mean, he is a, a phenomenon on the basketball court. Uh, and uh, and the thing I was really excited about, too, when you know, believe it or not, was like when we when we got the inactives, was looking at all the guys who were really talented for the Magic who weren't available because they were hurt. You know, and you look at that, and you're like, man, when these guys come back, like this team is going to be a, a problem. Like, uh, and, and I think that you know uh, that experience sitting in the seat of the great Paul Porter and keeping it warm for one night was one of the top three experiences of my sports career. Nice. And maybe top, maybe number one. I mean, I, I got to go back and think about it. <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, uh, and to see the game is so fast, so fast that, you know, and I'm and I was used to college basketball. You know, I used to think college basketball was fast, you know, but now you're watching the NBA and it's like it took me like a good quarter and a half to like settle in. You know, I felt like I was drinking out of a fire hose for the first quarter, you know? and, <laughs> and and uh, and but then I finally like sort of got the pace of it, and I was like, okay, now we're going, now we're now we're flowing. It was a lot of fun, and the and the folks at the Magic are just they're they're remarkable. Um, you know, there's the the franchise really is you know from a game game night perspective, extremely well run and tight, and um and they made my job easy. I mean, they, they, they really did, you know, for, for a first timer. Um, and, uh, it was, it, it was really exciting. And I'll tell you the truth that, you know, it, once the magic get healthy, that, that play in tournament at the end of the season where, you know, it, you know, nine and 10 play eight and seven in the East, they can sneak into that, which I think they have the talent to do. And they're extremely well coached. I thought also watching them play Jamal Mosley really has them well coached. Um, once they figure that out, once they get into that flow, man, they can do some damage. I think, I think now is a good, if, if you're, if you're looking to buy some Orlando magic stock, buy it now. Okay. <laughs> good to know. <laughs> okay. Don't win. This is buy this it is now. Insider cause trading. Everyone's going to, I, Cause I really do believe everyone's going to find out. Real quick. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Yeah, I got to uh, share a Paul Porter story with you. So once upon a time when I was at WGTO, mm. we used to put on a, a competing pregame show with the uh, with the rights holder against the rights holder. 
And Paul Porter used to uh, do the uh, pregame player interviews for us, feed him back to the station <laughs> before the game. And as part of that arrangement, what we did for Paul was, uh, you know, could you imagine the amount of miles he puts on his vehicle going back and forth between Tampa and Orlando because he yeah. lives in Tampa? So he and his wife, Jan, uh, who used to run the press room back in the day. So we traded out hotels for him uh, for him to do overnight stays. So he didn't have to drive in the middle of the night. So that was a not bad. Yeah. So and, and Paul Porter's been there since the beginning. Yeah. And and, uh, you know, and I forget the name of the legendary PA announcer in Philadelphia. Uh, it doesn't hit me right off the hand, but I know Paul reminded a lot of people of him uh, because he, uh, he used to do Julius Irving yeah. back in the day. Uh, and Dave Zinkoff was. It? Yes. OK, there you Dave, go. Yeah. Dave Zinkoff, you know, and um, in the old spectrum. Yeah. And, and, and you know, it, it's kind of funny, like, you know, I, you know, Paul was one of those guys that, you know, I grew up you know, listening to in the background and paying attention to because he's obviously been there since the start of the franchise. I mentioned Ray Clay with the Chicago Bulls, Dan Roberts of the Utah Jazz. Um, you know, I grew up in uh, in South Florida, and you know the Heat's PA announcer. Um, I, I forget his name off the top of my head, but um, uh, but you know, and you hear those guys, and you know, uh, Michael Biamonte, and um, and and you know, I would hear those guys in my head as I was trying to, you know. Like, like think about like how I would, how would they, you know, kind of, and, and I, I did reach out to, to Paul before I did the game. And I said, you know, you know and I, I was lucky enough to obtain, you know, his, his contact information and through, through the magic. And, and I, and I just asked him, I was like, you know, do you have anything, any, any tips, you know, anything that I should know that, you know, and he's like, nope, just be yourself. And I was like, all right. That's what I'm going to do. And uh, that's the only, cause that's the only thing I know how to do, you know, but, um, but, but, you know, it, it, as with any job, it's like, you know, you, you still, you still have those influences, yeah. you know, that that's still kind of like, they're still part of the, part of the mix, you know? Yeah. And, um, and, and I have to, you know, thank him and, 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 and all these other people who I have seen and heard, but never met that, you know, that for, for their, you know, because I, you know, I like to think that there's a little bit of them that kind of comes out in me sometimes. And, um, uh, you know, especially when I do UCF basketball, which, you know, it would, you know, in particular, cause I kind of, you know, it, it, it does, it does come out and, and also UCF football as well. And, uh, um, you know, and, and I'm, and I'm thankful to have, those opportunities because they are so, you know, rare. Um, but it's, it's, it's been a, an absolute blast and God willing, I'll be able to do it for as long as they'll have me. <laughs> well, one thing I will thank you for as a public address announcer is not being one of those growler guys, especially in basketball, because that, that has gotten <laughs> so old. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not, see, it, it's funny you mentioned that, like, cause I think like it, that's like start part of the influence of like the WWE mm-hmm. on you know uh, on 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 the production of sports events. Yeah, and you know there's a time and a place for that. Obviously, um, I think there are certain 
points for it, you know? Um, and and also i i have to admit that some you know if if fans listen closely they'll kind of hear me say that in certain times and and sometimes it's because it fits like with a player's name or whatever and sometimes it's because i really have to like save my voice and it kind of like you know instead of like it being up here it kind of comes from down there you know and it's like all right i i kind of need need to give my you know just give myself a little bit of a break on this one but um you know, but it, but I am not. Uh, I don't do that all the time, and that's because of exactly what you said. I think sometimes it's overdone. Yeah. You know, and it and and also that's that's not that's kind of not how I express excitement. Like I love the games. Like I just I, I don't care who. It, like I I watch Maction on Tuesday night, and I like channel flip because I just love watching these games you know yeah, and i got it over I, here <laughs> yeah there's nothing to me more fun i don't even care what the team's records are like it, there's nothing to me more fun than an exciting well-played sporting event of any kind you know and i and, and so it's it's got to be someone's job out there to, to project that thrill that excitement of like watching a really good of watching just this one moment in time where we see you know these gifted people at the peak of their ability it's something uh, something that they do and and i celebrate that regardless of who's playing yeah so last time you were on the show i think we uh were lamenting about how pitiful the nfc east was <laughs> and of course uh you know we're brothers in arms when it comes to ucf but in the nfl you know you're a giants fan i'm a cowboys fan so we have to be sports enemies in that in that world uh so Frenemies, frenemies. Yes, frenemies. Yes, better way to put it. Yes, <laughs> yes. So here we are now when we look like the NFC East is now a power division. <laughs> All in a short amount of time. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's, it's like we're, we're, we're throwing it back to the, to the late 80s, early 90s, right, Jeff? Like, yeah. you know, it's, everyone's, everyone's in the mix. Um, you know, I, 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 as a giant fan and as a, as a, native son of new jersey um i am first of all that i loved the brian dable hire from the second i heard about it i knew he would do great things um he has injected new life into a healthy saquon barkley who by the way and and and, and as a Giants fans, I, I, you know, everyone criticized them for drafting Daniel Jones when they did. And and my thought on that was they didn't draft Daniel Jones to build around Daniel Jones. They were building around Saquon Barkley, you know, and he has, I don't want to say fixed Daniel Jones, but he's at least put him in positions to succeed and build his confidence because after all the head coaches and offensive coordinators and getting the living daylight kicked out of him for the last three years, I mean, he was, he was damaged. And I think Dable had to figure out, you know, is he damaged beyond repair? You know, do we have something with him? And I think that we do. And I got to go back and I got to look, maybe Jeff, you know more about this than me. In fact, I'm sure you probably do. I want to go back and look at like Josh Allen's statistics, his first year with Brian Dable as the, as the offensive coordinator the first year they were together and then see the second year. And then, you know, how much of a leap was there? Um, because Allen is Dable's great, you know, magnum opus. 
right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and we've continued to see that. And and I think probably some Buffalo fans might be looking at me like, eh, it's not maybe it's not quite the same this year, but he's still really good. And they are good enough to get the Super Bowl. And I think they 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 have a very good shot at doing that. But um, but that was Brian Dable who figured out Josh Allen. And that was why he was hired in, in East Rutherford, you know, was to figure out Daniel Jones. Do we have something here? Um, we're, you know, we're coming up on Thanksgiving. This is when stuff gets real, as as we like to say. And uh, and you know what's you know what is the what does the schedule look like for the Giants? You know they play their next game is against Detroit on Sunday, which you know Detroit all of a sudden has actually knocked off a couple of Giants, uh, you know, so to speak. They I think they uh, they when they beat Green Bay and uh, they beat Chicago and and. Eric, it's funny, our, our mutual friend, Eric Lopez, and I were talking, you know, before the season, we're like, or around September, and we're like, we're like, what's the team that's like, that, like, you're scared of that you, that, you know, everyone else is like, that just doesn't pay attention to. And we're like, and we both said the Detroit Lions, yeah. because there's something about them, especially with Dan Campbell as the head coach that, you know, and Jared Goff, who I think has played really well, that's like, you know, they're not going to make the playoffs. They're not going to win the division. They're not going to sniff the playoffs, really. But they're going to make life a living hell for at least for at least a few teams and knock some teams off. And I feel like if we're not careful this coming Sunday, you know, like yeah. we could be ripe for the beating from them. Um, they put points on the board and they do. and players play for Dan Campbell. He yeah, proved that they, in Miami. <laughs> yeah, they, they the, the one thing you know you're going to eat that they you know you may beat them, but they are kind of like Navy, you're going to pay a price yeah. <laughs> for beating them. Um, and then, uh, and, you know, they've lost the cup. They've lost, uh, they've lost some close games, but I, I, you know, but I think that, you know, right now for the giants, Detroit, you and I are not going to talk on Thanksgiving day because we're playing at Dallas. <laughs> um, and then, you know, okay. So, so what happens there? I think that's, that game is going to be key to, to seeing how the division, you know, shakes out and it's three straight division games at Dallas, Home Washington, home Philadelphia, and then they have at Washington, at Minnesota, home Indy, at Philly. So this is, you know, this is like, it's, it's. I, I do like that the NFL tends to backload the division games on the schedule because it's like conference play in college football, you know. Yep, yep. And 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 I like that. Um, but it's quite possible that. You know, these NFC East teams, given where they are, we just saw Washington beat Philadelphia the other night, um, might be, you know, maybe beating up on some of the some of their some weaker non division opponents, and they may beat each other up in this last month and a half. So, you know, I, I I'm I'm encouraged by where the Giants are, but I, I think I'm again cautiously optimistic. You know, right now they're in the playoff race. Um, you know, maybe, maybe Steven Leonard is right. I have battered fan syndrome. Um, and, 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 you know, but it's, I, there's a part of me that's still like waiting for the other shoe to drop, you know, well, if someone gets hurt or, or, you know, they just completely, you know, the, the, the monsters show up and just, and, and, and they lose like, you know, five in the last six or something in like incredibly bizarre fashions, which I'm used to seeing every year from the giants. But, um, but they're a lot better than they have been. And there is at least a direction for the franchise 
and you can see an identity being reformed, you know, um, really for the first time since Tom, since the, you know, the, the prime of the Tom Coughlin, Eli Manning era, um, you know, that the, the Giants have an identity now. And that's that's encouraging to see as a fan because at least, you know, we have a direction. Yes. And you like the upward trajectory as opposed to what yeah. you have had to deal with. Uh, you know, and, and for me with the Cowboys, it, it all goes back to they're the biggest tease in the NFL. <laughs> <laughs> they they just, you know, they look like they're going to be world beaters. And then. But, OK, but let me ask you a question as a Cowboys yeah. fan. Yeah. Is that because is that true or. Is that a function of the fact that the Cowboys receive so much media attention that it's inevitable that Cowboys fans think that they're going to be better than maybe they actually are? Some of that, yes, I would would agree with that. Um, and I probably too have battered fan syndrome. <laughs> Just <laughs> from that aspect, it's like, okay, what's going to happen next, right? Uh, but you know, it, at this stage, if you'd have told me we were going to be six and three, and Dak Prescott was going to miss five games, yeah, and Cooper Rush would go four and one, I would have never have believed it. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, but then it comes down to. You know, Philly's still standing in the way. The Giants are still standing in the way. I mean, right now they're still in the in the playoff hunt. But you know, when we think back to like you know when you know, the good old days yes. of the Giants <laughs> and the Cowboys, you know, for the Giants late eighties, you know, for the Cowboys early nineties, it was what did you do after Thanksgiving Day? Yeah, you know, and you know, we would always see the Cowboys on Thanksgiving. They would have that statement win, and then they would just close the deal, right? Those Giants teams in the eighties, the the good ones closed the deal. Yeah, some of them actually, a lot of a lot of them actually, some of the teams that Parcells had actually struggled down the stretch, a lot of the times. But you know, eighty six, like they they dominated in December and January when the weather got cold, and the wind started whipping around Giant Stadium, and uh, and and so what's you know what do these teams do in December? We're going to find out. You know, and it's but the thing is about the about the NFL, it's 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 the most meritocratic organization in 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 the world when it comes to at least to on field play. Yeah. You know, because the the league is structured for every team to go eight and eight. Or at least, you know, seven and eight, eight or seven and nine. And what, how many games do they play now? Seventeen. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So, so 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 eight and nine, nine and eight. Right. Yeah. Um, I think they're going to go to 18 in a few years, but, um, you know, and, and so the good teams get the benefit of the breaks. Yeah. Sometimes you make your own breaks. Sometimes they come to you, but um, what do you do? What do you do when you get those breaks? Um, you know, do you take advantage, you know, or do you kind of play it safe? And I think sometimes the Cowboys tend, tend have tended over the years to like play it safe. I think that's what Jason Garrett in particular was known oh, yeah. for was, yes. <laughs> you know, okay, we, you know, we're, we're playing with house money here. Let's not push the issue too much. Sometimes like the better teams in the NFL, I think they have a, they have a killer instinct. Like you know, the chiefs, the last few years have been the team that has the killer instinct when they, 
when they have you down, they enjoy the sound of suffocating you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, and, and and which team in the NFC East is going to have that? Yeah. And with Mike McCarthy, he gambles when he should play it safe and does the opposite. But he should play it safe. He gambles. <laughs> I don't mind. You know, in the pros, I don't mind. I don't mind coaches that gamble maybe a little bit too much in the NFL over college because, you know, you're showing confidence in your in your team when you gamble. You know, you're putting it in there in, in the hands of these grown men, you know, and saying, all right, go for it. Let's do it. You know, I believe in you guys. Does it work out? Sometimes not, right? But I have less of a problem with it in the NFL than I do sometimes, you know, in college. I, 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 not to say that I, I, I'm not, I'm not sitting here implying that I don't like Gus going for it on fourth down. I love Gus going for it on fourth down, mm-hmm. um, you know, because for that very reason, it shows confidence. But like sometimes a little irrational confidence is good for a coach because you're putting the ball in the team's hands. And even if you don't make it, mm-hmm. what you're, you know, you can at least learn from that and be like, okay, next time we're going to make this work. You know? So I don't mind that. Dable's been good about that. He's been, he's, he's taken some risks. Like oh, you took that risk in that opener going for two against Tennessee at the end of the game. And it worked out. Yeah. And that set the tone for the remainder of the year. He, and he said it right after the game. I'll never forget it. You know, he said, I, he, he said, you know, I am not going, I, I, no matter what happens, I am going to coach to win. And I know that's a cliche. It's like, what else would you coach for? But when you really think about what he's saying there is, I'm, I'm not going to be afraid. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to coach afraid. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to coach in a way where, you know, like we were saying with Jason Garrett, like, you know, where I'm playing with house money. He's like, I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep pushing the, the envelope here because the players like that. The players yeah. like that aggressiveness. Yeah. You know, and that's how you establish. And part of that is obviously, you know, playing the percentages, but part of that is also establishing a culture. Yeah. Which yes. the giants have not had for the last few years. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, you know, Jason Garrett would uh, always be caught in the hands when the guys come off the field on, you the know, two. <laughs> well done guys. <laughs> So yeah, we didn't that get was, that fourth and ten, but hey, yeah, good, good job. <laughs> yeah, and of course, you know the man that coached both of our teams, Parcells. You know yeah. that was always the the mantra. He, he was like, "Talk to me about my team in November." Yeah, <laughs> because that's really when it matters. Yeah, and and, and it's his other one is is that Eric Lopez always reminds you of is you are what your record says you are. Yes, absolutely you know? true, and and that's that that's absolutely that's it's it's a tautology basically but like yeah that's exactly what it is you know the, the, the giants right now i believe are you know are 7 and 2 because they've put themselves in that position you know yep. the eagles are 8 and 1 and you look at what they have done so far this year that's they they have deserved to be right there you know based on what they played jalen hurts man wow yeah, you know what a job he's done for them. He is he has injected some uh, some new life into that offense, and uh, he frightens the hell out of me. I'll tell you that. Yeah, no question. Same here. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think I think the other thing too. It took me a long time to learn because I am stubborn sometimes. 
uh, that that the NFL is a week to week business. Yeah, you know because you you look at what happened to the Eagles on Monday night. It's just there are just going to be games yeah. that 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 no, there's no explaining why you lose them sometimes. Right, you know, and and, and I. I People were talking after the game about that, about the call, the personal foul call. And I'm like, I had no problem with that call. You know, I, like, don't hit a quarterback when he's kneeling down. You know, what are you, what are you doing? You deserved to lose that game based on that call, right? Yeah. And uh, this is another thing that drove me crazy. So, so Aikman comes on after the game on SportsCenter, and he said something to the effect of, this is why I don't like instant replay It's supposed to take controversy out of the game. And I think it injects more controversy into the game because he was saying, they were saying like, Oh, should that play be reviewable? It didn't, first of all, it didn't have to be reviewable to be apparently obvious that they hit, that they hit Heineke late. Number two, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of human being say <laughs> on, on live television. Really? You're against instant replay because you, you, you you think that it introduces more controversy that that literally does not make any sense. It is the exact opposite of it, right? Instant replay has been one of the best inventions to save sports in its history, right? We, how many, how many different games have we seen where if they screwed up a call, they were safe. I mean, you and I remember when the NFL had instant replay and then got rid of it. Mm -hmm. And it got so bad that they brought it back. So, and and people are like, oh, it slows down the game. No, it's not. Get the call right. Do you know how many, how many millions of dollars? And I'm not even just talking about, obviously, gambling on pro sports, which is everyone knows is a thing. But, but do you know how many millions of dollars worth of, like career bonus money is laying on the line for some of these games that are decided literally by one play. And you're going to get, and, and you have the opportunity to get it right. And then you get it. You, and, and you're, you're going to say, you don't want that opportunity. Are you out of your skull, Troy Aikman? What are you talking? <laughs> well, I, I disagree with his statement based on his logic. Now I hate replay for different reasons. I don't, think it should ever be abolished, but I think there's a lot of, you know, there is something to the delays of the game because you, it seems like they look at things, particularly in college where they look at things over and over again, when they're pretty obvious, they can, well, they, can, they, okay. can they can make, they can, they can make, they can make it make better decisions to do it Here, quicker. Here's where I can see where you're coming from. Yeah. Okay. And there are a couple of things that I think that, the NCAA could do to speed up the thing. Number one, how do we administer instant replay right now? The, you know, a replay is called for, they bring the TV monitor out, the little monitor out onto the field and the officials sometimes, and this is where we, and and those of us who've been to a UCF game see this. Say something happens on the Southern end or the, yeah, the Southern end of the field, right? I think of the USF game last year at the very end. That official has to run 80 yards <laughs> to the northern end of the field because that's where the monitor is, right, to look at it. Now, <laughs> we're all waiting for the drama to happen. Meanwhile, he's trying to get this call right, right? 
Why are there not two monitors on either side? Number one. Yeah. Number two, we have an instant replay official. Why do we not send it up to him? And he wires down to the, because the, the, the officials all have, I know they have it in the NFL. They all have intercoms in between one another so they don't have to all congregate in the huddle and then, and then come up with a thing. It's, and that's helped with game administration. That's another thing that, believe it or not, being at the Magic game, like I really gained a new appreciation where everyone hates NBA officials, but let me tell you something. They are the best at administering a game. Mm, okay. Like like taking care of all the stuff that we don't see on television and maybe a few people notice in person of just keeping the game moving, keeping it going. We got this, we got that. Hey, we this team has all the time. Just, so there's no one, no one has to stop anything and ask questions. Okay. So I would say, you know, there's a challenge, beam it up to the thing. He calls down. Okay. You know, they give the call, but quite often, and here's something that people forget, and I, and I wish more people knew this. The result of a replay, it's not just, they're not just, they don't just have to look at, you know, incomplete, complete, or fumble or down by contact or whatever. They then have to go back and say, okay, we need to make sure with the down and distances, where exactly the ball is, and they need to look at a bunch of different angles for that, and what the clock says. Yeah. And that takes... You know, those little details add up and we don't think about that. But that's that's part of how they're doing, how they're trying to, you know, administer the game in a way that, you know, and, and that takes a little bit extra time. I think there's other things they can do to save time, but give the officials a little bit of of leeway there, because it's not just that play that they're looking at. It's the other stuff around. OK, well. In talking about Aikman, uh, you know, it, it's funny. Obviously, I love him as a cowboy, but uh, to me, he's he's just such an average analyst when it comes down to it. Because it's all good job by him, good job by him. Uh, uh, you know, he's unafraid he, to tick anybody off. Yeah, and, no, it, which is funny because like when he's on the Dan Patrick show, he's very opinionated, and it's like, yeah. why isn't that Troy Aikman on TV? Because <laughs> he he's entirely different, which is which kind of drives me crazy. Yeah, I mean, I respect Troy as a player. He did some terrible things to the Giants over the years. Um, but and he one thing he does have is very good chemistry with Joe with yeah. with Joe. Um, but you're right. I mean, he just kind of he he's kind of the best way I can describe him sometimes is he's a little wishy washy. Yeah, you know. I'm like, Troy, say what you think, you know? So, <laughs> well, maybe we don't want to know what Troy thinks. I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> maybe he's holding back for a reason. Well, so. if he's, well, yeah, if he says stuff like, uh, like they ticked you off on the instant replay, maybe if he says that to 10 more different things that are, that you find just as dumb, maybe, maybe he doesn't want to expose himself. Who knows? <laughs> well, Jeff, hey, it's, it's always a pleasure getting to talk to you. I appreciate you being on the show. So please, if you don't mind, Shameless plugs uh, for what you're what you're doing out there on Twitter. Insofar as it, in, Elon Musk hasn't killed it, uh, I'm at Jeff <laughs> underscore Sharon. Um, 
Of course, I'm still the managing editor for Black and Gold Banneret. We have a different Twitter handle because there was a snafu with Twitter already. This oh, was no. about a year ago, but like we don't have as many followers as we used to on our old account. So double check your follow on us. UCF Banneret underscore SBN. UCF Banneret underscore SBN. We used to be UCF underscore Banneret. Now we're UCF Banneret underscore SBN and our followers didn't port over. Ah, so... That's that's why I've been trying to tell everybody like you know, you know to help us out on that. Facebook.com slash black and gold banner. We have a YouTube channel, Eric Lopez, Kyle Nash, um, Bryce and Turner have been doing wonders on our YouTube channel. We do this really good post game show called Night Shift. Yep. After every UCF game on YouTube and on all of our social channels. Instagram, we have some amazing photographers. Um Derek Warden, um, Noah Goldberg, and we brought on a couple other new photographers, including Brenna Johnson, who's just been who's been doing work with UCF recently um, on our Instagram page, Black and Gold Banneret there. Make sure you just you hit that up. Um, it's a labor. It's a labor of love for us. You know, we love covering UCF. We love talking about UCF and that's our outlet for it. So Black and Gold Banneret dot com. Outstanding. As always, appreciate you. Appreciate you being on. You got it. Thanks, Jeff. And now let's close out with a TV theme. Okay, you recognize that TV theme maybe as a hit song, which was more successful than the TV show itself by a landslide. Of course, the name of the show is Making It, starred David Naughton, who also sang the opening theme song. It aired for all of nine episodes in 1979 on ABC. Uh, the show was set in Passaic, New Jersey. It was about the daily life of Billy Minucci, a young man who frequented the local disco club Inferno. He did that at night while working in an ice cream parlor during the day called Tasty Queen. Uh, he was highly influenced by the disco craze and specifically by the movie Saturday Night Fever. Ironically, Ellen Travolta, co-star of Saturday Night Fever, and John Travolta's sister play Minucci's mother. 
Of course, this show had the misfortune of coming on the air near the end of the disco fad. Backlash against disco had really started to rise back then, uh, culminating in the old disco demolition night in the summer of 79 at Old Comiskey Park in Chicago. So the show just got eight weeks on the air, ranked number 104 out of 114 shows uh, during that season. But notably... When they were canceled on the same day in 1979 as these shows, they're in pretty good company. Welcome back, Cotter. What's happening? Delta House, Starsky and Hutch, and the original Battlestar Galactica. Uh, ironically, Robert Stigwood, the producer of Saturday Night Fever, as well as the Bee Gees manager, was involved in the show's creation, as was the great Gary Marshall. As a matter of fact, it was a Miller Milkus production. Of course, they were behind Happy Days, Mork and Mindy, Laverne and Shirley, etc., etc., and uh, we mentioned the song and how great it was. It got to number five on the Billboard Top 40 in 1979, entering the charts two months after the show was canceled. The song has also been featured in the Bill Murray movie Meatballs, as well as the GameCube dance game MC Groove Dance Craze. It was also in the movie Detroit Rock City, despite the fact that that movie was set in 1978 and the song was released in 1979. So we mentioned the cast. David Naughton, you also know him, possibly, if you're a little bit older, as uh, the Dr. Pepper guy, who used to sing I'm a Pepper, you're a Pepper, and all that good stuff. Uh, Greg Antonacci played uh, his brother, Tony Minucci. Uh, Denise Miller played Tina Minucci. We mentioned Ellen Travolta. Lou Antonio played Joseph Minucci. Ralph Seymour was Al Kingfish Sorrentino. Rebecca Balding was Corky Crandall. That was uh, kind of the, the love interest. She was also on Soap back in the day. Uh, Jennifer Perito. It was Ivy Papastegas. And Gary Pendergrast was Bernard Fusco. So that was the uh, award-winning... No, they weren't award-winning. Nine-episode <laughs> cast of Making It. Uh, that is our TV theme for this week. And with that, we are done here. Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at Jeff Allen underscore 88, on Facebook at Jeff Allen 88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. Does your dog itch, suffer from debilitating skin allergies, or trouble hot spots? We have the solution using the healing power of neem. Kramer's Salve is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. Go to KramerSalve.net to order today with new low pricing. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E dot net.